John chapter 20, verse number 15, the Bible says, Jesus saith unto her, woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She's supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. She's supposing him to be the gardener. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about exactly what I've already said, understanding dominion. Somebody say that with me, understanding dominion. Amen. Would you lift your hands all across the house? I know we opened this in prayer, but I want us to pray one more time that God would have his will and his way in this service. Your holy word, your powerful word. Anoint me, God, and use me for the glory of your kingdom tonight. Pray that you would confirm this word with signs following. We need it tonight, God. We release the gifts of the Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would do everything through love and by the power of the Holy Ghost. In the name of the Lord Jesus, let your perfect will be accomplished in this service tonight. If you believe God's going to do a great work, why don't you just shout amen? Amen. Uh, on the topic of dominion, uh, probably a week or a week and a half ago, I was in British Columbia, Canada, and the Lord began to deal with me on what I'm going to attempt to express to you tonight. And he led me to a very peculiar story on the topic of deliverance and dominion and going from one to the next. And at first I didn't really understand it, but through revelation, God's got a way of making things understandable. And so if uh, you have your Bibles or if you just want to write it down, I gave it to the media team. Turn with me to the book of Second Kings chapter 13. We're going to begin reading at verse number 14. The Bible says, Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept on his face and said, O oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said unto the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot, and he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek until thou hast consumed them. And he said, take arrows, and he took them, and he said unto the king of Israel, smite upon the ground, and he smote three times and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him and said, thou shouldest have smitten five or six times. Then thou hadst smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it, whereas now thou hast uh, smitten Syria but three times. When looking into the context of deliverance, I do believe that you first see the hand of deliverance found as the man of God places his hands upon the king's hands. And I want to stop there because I think when you look into this, uh, and I made reference to this particular point here a little while ago preaching here uh, on on weapons from heaven that you need the hand of the man of God in your life to guide you when you see this you see the prophet's hands coming over the king's hands 
And we need that in our lives. We are called kings and priests with God. You need the help of the man of God to direct your course throughout life. In everything that we do, we need the guidance of the Holy Ghost. And we need the covering of a pastor. Amen. And so as you see this, you see that he guides him to a window and he tells him to shoot eastward. He says, open the window eastward. And as they shot, the Bible makes a very declarative statement. He says that this is the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. And as I was looking into this and I feel as the Lord began to unravel the story a little bit. I see this as a picture of salvation. The arrow of the Lord's deliverance was sent to Syria. And I love where it says that it struck first. It says you're going to smite Syria in Aphek. Now, this is a very important place. Because if you begin to do a quick study into that city or that place, Aphek, you will find that it literally means to contain or to restrain. And so deliverance is always going to come to that which is trying to contain you and restrain you from fulfilling the purpose of God within your life. And so you see that deliverance comes from the Lord and the containment and the restrainment is off. Now I see this as a perfect picture of salvation. Except a man be born again of water and of spirit, he shall not enter into the kingdom of God. You and I know here that you must be born again of the spirit. And being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost as this great church understands is to lift your hands, repent of your sins. And as the spirit begins to blow into the room, as you begin to be filled with the gift of God living on the inside, there is going to be a sound that bears witness to the Spirit. And we know that as speaking in a heavenly language. Aren't you thankful for the gift of the Holy Ghost? Amen. And I love in Acts 1, it says, After that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, you're also going to get power. Now, the word power there literally means the dunamis, the, the explosive nature of the Holy Ghost. When you receive the Holy Ghost, it's just going to take things out of the way. That's powerful. And then it talks about baptism. Now, I begin to see this a little bit in a different light when I begin to look at baptism because baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, while the Holy Ghost gives you power, Baptism gives you authority, or if you really want to look into the word authority there, it gives you the jurisdiction to use the power that comes from the Spirit of God. I want to look into that just for a second. I grew up in, in Southern California. This is the best way that I understood it for me. I grew up in Southern California. I moved there when I was three months old, uh, so that's all I really knew up until I was about 17. And as I was growing up in Southern California, uh, there was a lot of police officers there that had jurisdiction and power within that area. But if you take that same cop and you take him out of Southern California and you bring him to Palm Bay, Florida, although he has the same power here that he does there, unless attaining jurisdiction from the one that has the authority to use the power within this region, 
He can have all the power he wants to have, but has no authority or jurisdiction to use what has been given. And so we, you and I, understand that Jesus, he comes up out of the grave, and the Bible makes it clear, he is the head now of all principalities. The Bible says he's far above all principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, evil. He, he has power over every principality, over every power. There is absolutely nothing that God does not have authority and power over. And so when you receive the Spirit of God, you have access to the power. But when you're baptized in the name of Jesus, you now have appropriate jurisdiction because He's the one that came to give you access to use the power that was given when you were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It takes the infilling of the gift of the Holy Ghost and baptism in Jesus' name. And so you see this pictured, uh, I believe, very, very clearly uh, when you begin to look in Acts chapter 19, verse number 13. The Bible says, then certain of the vagabond of Jews and Exodus took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, we adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew and a chief of the priest, which did so. And the evil spirit and answered and said, Jesus, I know Paul, I know, but who are you? You don't have proper jurisdiction in this kingdom to use the name of which has not been applied to your life. That's why it matters who you're baptized in. Amen. You need proper jurisdiction within this kingdom to use the name of Jesus. And that only gets applied through water baptism in Jesus name. So as we go a little further into this, I uh, begin to look at Ephesians chapter one. And so as you begin to understand now that that I believe that as as I want to keep us in the context of second Kings chapter 13, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance deliverance comes you see that this is the process that takes place through salvation. And now you go to Ephesians chapter 1 and you begin at verse number 19. You say, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believing according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand, in heavenly places. Now, I won't keep that up there. We're going to keep going into this. But when you see that he set him at the right hand of God, and I know I may just be uh, reaffirming things that we already know tonight, but this is for the sake of foundation. Uh, when you see that he set him at the right hand of God, there's a lot of people that want to stop there and say, see, I see dualism. There's at least two. But what you have to understand is that scripture used something called anthropomorphic language which is uh, a, a word of which that, that history tells us that uh, men use this to put deity into the understanding of humanity. And so you see all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see things like the finger of God. As God parted the Red Sea, the Bible says by the finger of God, he did that. It doesn't literally mean that God went like this. And you see uh, further into the book of Exodus, you see that he wrote on tablets of stone by the finger of God. 
It doesn't literally mean that God by his index index finger reached down onto those tablets of stone that Moses was going to get ready to bear and he wrote into them. That's not what happened. God is a spirit. John chapter 4 verse number 24. A spirit doesn't have a hand. A spirit doesn't have a finger. A spirit doesn't have a face. A spirit just is what it is. And so because you and I cannot understand an omniscient, an omnipresent, uh, and an omnipotent God, he uses language that you and I can understand. And so when you see the finger of God, it means the spirit of God. When you see the right hand of God through scripture, you're seeing the power of God on display. And so the reason even Stephen at his stoning, he says he looked up and he saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. You mean to tell me that two co-equal, co-eternal gods are up in heaven and Jesus is literally standing on the hand of God? It just doesn't make sense. So what he was trying to say is, is that Jesus is the power of God on display. And so when you invoke the name of Jesus, you're literally invoking the power of God. In Jesus' name, devils tremble. In Jesus' name, you shall be healed. In Jesus' name, mountains shall be moved. In Jesus' name, things begin to break. Atmospheres begin to shift. Why? Because when you say Jesus, it's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It is power of God in action. Amen. And so you see that. And I want to keep going into this. And so you see that uh, Christ is at the right hand of God. It's not literal. It's that Christ is the power of God far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the what? To the church, which is what? His The fullness of him that filleth all in all. Okay, him there. You're looking at a pronoun which is describing the noun. Who is the noun? Christ. Who fills you? Christ. The him there is Christ. So Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we're just, this is all foundational. So you see that, that Christ says that I I am, I, I have all power, I have all authority, and I did it so that I could give it to the who? The The church. Someone say me. You are the church. I'm thankful for this beautiful building here at Eastwind. I'm thankful for this beautiful remodel. I was telling Paris we were watching an old video on on, on, uh, YouTube a little while ago before the remodel. Joel Urshan, I think it was at the 50th. And I said, that's what Eastwind used to look like. And she said, wow, this remodel's beautiful. But this is but but a mere building. The church is what gathers in this building. You're the church. I'm the church. And so he gave this authority, this power, and this dominion to the church. And so I want to take a a step back now to 2 Kings chapter 13. So you see that deliverance comes at salvation. Right? That's what we've talked about. And you have access to deliverance at any point that you are saved. You can be delivered at the mention of his name. But I firmly believe that as we look into this, that you're going to understand dominion here. Because it is not the will of God for you to be delivered on Sunday and on Wednesday and be bound on Monday and Thursday. 
It is not the will of God for you to be delivered as you enter into the presence of God as we gather as the ecclesia of which we cannot forsake. According to the book of Hebrews, the closer of his coming, the more the body should gather. So you don't need to do away with the body coming together, but you have to understand that that it's not the will of God for you to be delivered only when the church is together and for you to be bound the rest of the week. So we look into this. The Bible says that he takes arrows, the prophet. I want you to see this. He tells him, he says, all right, you've been delivered. Deliverance has reached Syria. In where? Aphek. What does that mean? The, the containment and the restrainment has been taken off of you. And he hands him, now this is beautiful, you got to see it. He hands him arrows and he says, take arrows. Why is that important? Because the same thing that brought deliverance is going to be used to issue out dominion. And so the same power that delivered you is the same power that's going to allow you to walk in dominion. And so you see, he hands him arrows. And this is what he tells the king. He says, all right, king, this is what I need you to do. I need you to smite the ground. And he smites the ground once, and he maybe takes a 20, 30-second break, and he smites the ground again, and maybe he takes a 10-second break, and then he smites the ground the third time, and the Bible says he stays. After the third time, he's done. He says, I've smitten the ground, smitten the ground, whatever you want to say, long enough. We're done. And the Bible says that the king or, or the prophet gets wroth with the king. Why? Because if he would have continued in smiting the ground, he could have gone until he had consumed or had dominion and rule over that which was afflicting him and his people. And so the Lord quickened my spirit and said that dominion is birthed in persistency and consistency. So let's talk about this for just a minute. What did the king smite? The ground, right? That's what it says. All right. Now let's go back to the beginning. Genesis. All right. Genesis chapter one. God forms man from the dust of the Okay, so the king smites the ground. Man is formed from the dust of the ground. Watch, he breathes the breath of life into man. He pulls man out of the earth. And then he says, now I'm going to give you dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the face of the... The will of God has always been for you to have dominion over what he brought you out of. But watch. This is what the prophet tells the king. I need you to smite the ground. What is that a type of? The earth is what man was formed from. The earth is what made the flesh. I need you to smite the flesh. Not once. Not twice. Not two times. Not four times. You've got to continue to put the flesh in subjection. Until. Until when? Until the prophet says, that's enough. You've got dominion over that area now. And so it was in the beginning that man loses dominion in the garden, right? He falls. He chooses what? The Bible says that even, and there's a whole, I I can't go into that. That's a whole different sermon. And I don't have time for that tonight. 
Eve partakes of the fruit. We all know she turns and gives Adam likewise. They both take this. They're removed from the garden. Uh, they're clothed now in tunics. They're, they're, they're given all of these things. They're taken out of what? Dominion over what God intended for them to have dominion over. So the first Adam fell in the garden. And the process of dominion is achieved through consistency. I hope this is making sense of doing what? Smiting the earth, putting the flesh in subjection daily. The apostle Paul said it this way. I die. All right. So God brings man from the ground and gives him dominion over it. And so the prophet is wroth with the king. Because he's only smitten the ground three times when he should have continued until he had dominion over Syria. We have no ability in the day that we are living in, watch, to have dominion in our own power and in our own authority anymore. Why? Because of the fallen nature of man in the garden. Man sinned. God removes him and he puts a a cherub with a flaming sword which turns every way to protect the way unto eternal life. And so there is no access to dominion by our own strength or ability because of one thing, the fallen nature called flesh. And so what the first Adam lost in the garden, the second Adam, according to the apostle Paul, he finds, and when the, the, the lady Mary comes running in John chapter 20 and supposes him to be what? He really was a gardener. Because not only was he there in that moment, but he is an omnipresent God. So he feels every moment. So not only was he there and she mistook him for the gardener, he was in that moment the gardener that went back to the book of Genesis and the creation and he restores what is lost so that man now has access to dominion once again. So because of Christ, man has access to what was lost with the first Adam. The second Adam brings restoration and access to the tree of life or eternal life by the power of the cross. Oh, I feel like preaching it. I'm not going to preach tonight. I'm not going to preach. Slow down. I'm not going to preach. So, you have to start looking into this. How do we access dominion if we have fallen nature? You begin to look in things like 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 44, and it brings into context the second Adam. And then you go to Romans chapter 13 and verse number 14. And that's when you begin to look that the apostle says that you are to put on Christ. Okay, so our fallen nature will not allow us to have dominion. But there is a process of which you can put on Christ and have dominion every single day in your life. And the path to dominion is always going to be daily consecration. And when you leave on Sunday delivered, it's not the will of God for you to be bound by what you were delivered on Sunday. 
But when you leave on Sunday, the process to dominion is to wake up on Monday and smite the earth again. You wake up and you take the flesh to the foot of the cross. And you put your face into the carpet. Or if you do it like I do it, you sit down in your chair with a good cup of coffee. And you pray until the flesh begins to die out. And you begin to call upon the name of the Lord. And you enter into his courts with thanksgiving. And then you begin to repent of the carnal man. Lord, forgive me of my pride. Forgive me of this. Forgive me of my arrogance. Lord, if I thought things I shouldn't have thought. And the flesh gets up on the altar. And the apostle Paul, the majority writer of the New Testament, made it clear. Even I've got to die on the altar every day. That's why he said you've got to be a living sacrifice. Watch. Which is your reasonable service. In another translation, it's not reasonable service. The Bible calls it spiritual worship. You climb up on the altar. And you grab a hold of it. And it's a form of worship. You stay there until the flesh is dead. And then you do what Romans says. You put on Christ. But the NIV says it like this. It's beautiful. Wear him like a garment. Like a garment. Okay. So you put on Christ like a garment. That's why I don't find it coincidental that in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 6, he says, when you enter into your closet to pray. Watch, we get dressed so that we can prepare for the elements that are outside. Again, I was just in Canada, and it was negative 40 degrees. It made me angry. I had no idea that weather could physically make somebody angry. But it made me all kinds of angry. I was literally upset. I said, if I could find Jack Frost, I'd hit him right now. Made me angry. So I dressed appropriately, or at least I thought I did, for the elements of which I knew I could not handle on my own. And so I put a beanie on, or as they call them in B.C., what is it, toques? I put my toque on. I put on a, 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 a thermal shirt. I put on the fluffiest vest that I own, and I put on a jacket. And I put on pants, and I put on fleece socks, and I I was dressed as warm as I could dress so that I could prepare for the elements that were outside of the place of comfort. But one thing that I understand is when I go outside tonight, I'm not going to need my beanie and my fleece and my fleece socks and my fluffy coat. I don't need all of that. Because I understand that how I dress in Florida is different than how I dress in the winter of Canada. Because I know how to properly equip myself for elements that are out of my control. And this is what we do. We want to go out into the world against principalities and rulers of darkness of which you and I have no authority over and no dominion over and no power over on our own. And we have the inability to pull things down. And we have the inability to do these things lest we enter into the closet and we put on the garment that has the authority over the elements that we are not properly equipped to handle on our own. That's why, friend, it's not enough for you to be delivered on Sunday 
and live a life of carnality on Monday and then bother pastor with your depression on Tuesday. I wonder what would happen if we learned how to kill the flesh on Monday. Oh, help me, Jesus. Oh, I got just poked a holy cow. You know, there's this thing in the world right now called extent. How long have I been going? When am I supposed to be done, Sister Amy? 830? I'll be done before that. There's this thing in the world called extended adolescence. The average age of marriage within the United States used to be between 19 and 20. Now it's somewhere between 28 and 29. People are going to college now and they think you can't get married until after college. That's good. That's fine. If that's what your parents and your pastor teach, don't listen to me. They're taught that you're too young now. You're not mature enough. And so the stage of adolescence has grown within the world. So too has adolescence increased within the church. Because we're babes when we should be fathers producing things in the kingdom. And we're still on spiritual milk when we should be able to digest spiritual meat. Because the Bible says that babes, watch, the Apostle Paul addressed them and said, I know you're babes because you're causing disunity in the body. Babes find a problem with other babes. Is this all right? All right, I'm just, I'm trying to teach, but I'm getting a little. All right. And then he says, young men, you've overcome the wicked one. Let's say young person. Let's put it in the more inclusive stage. Young people, it's your job at the stage you're in to become an overcomer. You're supposed to overcome the wicked one. And then at some point, you're supposed to move beyond a babe and beyond an overcomer and become a father. And the only way you're a father is if you've produced a son or a daughter. But we've allowed the extended adolescence of the world to creep into the church because we only know how to have deliverance on Sunday and we have no walk in dominion on Monday. But it's not the will of God for an apostolic saint to be full of the Holy Ghost on Sunday and live a life that's bound on Monday. Because when you learn how to grow in Christ, the only way you're going to do it is if you learn how to find this very altar within your home. And the process of dominion is only going to happen when we as people learn how to persistently and consistently smite the earth. You've got to wake up tomorrow morning. And you've got to get that arrow out. And you've got to smite the earth again. And you've got to take your flesh to the altar tomorrow morning. And you've got to fall on your knees. And you've got to pray until the flesh is brought under subjection to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the flesh is brought under subjection, you stand up and you step into the garment that is Christ Jesus. And you step out into a world that has no power over the name of Jesus. That has no authority over the name of Jesus. That has no dominion dominion over the name of Jesus because at the mention of his name every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Christ is Lord. He is far above all principality, all power and all rulers of darkness. He's not just above friend. He's far above. The process of dominion has always come and will always come through Jesus. Praise God. And so what was lost 
in the garden is found in Christ. It's all in Jesus. Listen, you're never going to get a better message than learning it's truly all in Him. That is the greatest message you will ever hear preached. I'm thankful for every other revelation. We need them all. But the greatest of these is still here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And so the process of understanding dominion comes through the persistency and the consistency of an altar. You've got to have an altar in your life. You've got to have a place of death in your life. You've got to have a place of not my will, Father, but thy will be done. I feel the Holy Ghost moving in this place. Because it's through the process of the altar that we find that we can put on Christ. And if we can ever get in Christ, then you start understanding love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and meekness and goodness and faithfulness. You start understanding these things. You start understanding that it's not the will of God for you to be bound by what you're bound by. And it may take more than one trip to the altar to stay free. Sometimes uh, it takes more than five minutes uh, in your personal prayer time to break through. Sometimes it's like you walk into the prayer room and he's there waiting on you. And within 30 seconds, the glory of the Lord descends into your home. But sometimes, friend, you've got to keep smiting the earth until you feel it break off in your home. Until you feel the dominion that can only come through Jesus begin to walk into the bedroom, walk into your closet, walk into your place of prayer and consecration and dedication. Oh, help me, Jesus. I know I've said this before, but nevertheless, I'm going to say it again. This is one of my favorite scriptures because it ties into everything that I'm trying to bring out. John chapter 15, verse number 16. He's chosen you, he's ordained you that you should go forth and bring fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it. Say it like you have a little conviction. He may give it. He may give it you. I believe you see the fulfillment of John chapter 15, verse number 16, and Acts chapter 3, and verse, I believe, number 4. Could be off there. Peter and John are heading to the gate called Beautiful. And as they are at the gate called Beautiful, there's a man there that has been lame for 40 years, according to Scripture. This man has been lame for 40 years, and he's begging alms like he would always beg alms every day. And he looks up at Peter and John. He says, alms, alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes on him, doesn't say silver and gold, have I none immediately. The first part of the revelation that he gives this man is this. Look right here. Why? I firmly believe. You can disagree. I have the microphone. I firmly believe. This is my opinion. That when that lame man looked up at Peter and John, he didn't see Peter and John. I firmly believe with everything within me that when he looked up, he saw Jesus. Because John chapter 15, verse number 16 says, he will give it you. What's it? The prayer request. The need. 
he will give it you. Who is you? Well, if you go through the process of John chapter 14 and John chapter 15 and you get to verse number 16, you will learn that the you there is really Jesus that's gone through the process of salvation and is in Christ. And so the you there that he's talking about really is the you that's not you. Because if he sees Dylan, he's going to see the flaws of my fallen nature. And if you look at me up here, you're going to see, I feel the Holy Ghost, you're going to see them, every flaw that I have. And if the preacher tries to tell you he's perfect, well, then he's not this preacher because I'm not perfect. I have my flaws. I have my issues. I have my struggles. But watch, when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to put on Christ. And when I step out into the world, the world won't see Dylan. The world sees the answer to the need. And the answer to the need will never be Dylan. And it'll never be Mary Sue and it'll never be John Doe or anything you and I can do. But if they can ever see Jesus, oh, that men see Jesus. (laughs) Friends, they need to see Jesus when they see you. If they can ever lay hold on Jesus... And so that man looks up, Peter and John say, look right here. I don't believe it was out of arrogance or pride. I believe it was out of the confidence that they understood that he was going to see Jesus. And when he looked up, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the authority to invoke a name. Because you've been baptized at the Holy Ghost, you've got the power. You've been baptized in the name of Jesus. You have the jurisdiction to use the power appropriately within the kingdom. His kingdom extends all of the earth and beyond, quite frankly. And so when somebody understands their role in the kingdom, they can say, in the name of the Lord Jesus... Rise up and walk. And immediately the bones were healed and the man got up and he began to leap and run and jump. Why? Because there's something that happens in the process of a child of God that can put on Jesus every day of their life. We've got to quit being drunk on deliverance and not learning how to walk in dominion. My prayer for you all day today has been for those that have been struggling with what God brought them out of. Let them wake up in the morning and let them walk in dominion. And the only way it's going to happen is if you wake up in the morning and you die to your will and your way and you put on Christ. Because the first Adam lost it. And that's what we're robed in is our flesh. But the second Adam found it and restored it. And if you get clothed in the second Adam, everything that you are just gets robed in Jesus. Everybody here has what's called a book of life. Every sin you've ever thing, every fault you've ever committed, everything you've ever done is written down in your book of life. But friend... Thanks be to God that when you were baptized in the name of Jesus and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, it's no longer your book of life that the accuser of the brethren is going to read. 
Because if you're not walking within the realms of the kingdom, he could open your book of life and say, you sinned here and you did that. And he has the right as the accuser in the courtroom to invoke the judge and the judge has to say guilty as charged. But when you get in Jesus, there's another book of life and it's called the Lamb's book of life. And when they open that book and the accuser of the brethren tries to invoke things upon you, he's going to say he was tempted in every way, but there was no sin. He was tried in every manner, but they found no fault in him. It's still all in Jesus. And when you wake up tomorrow, your hope is going to be in Jesus. And when you wake up on Friday, your hope is going to be in Jesus. Told you I'd be done before 8.30. Would you stand with me all across the house? I'm done. I want to tell every new convert that's in this room right now, your hope, your hope is in a prayer life tomorrow morning because there's power in the name of Jesus and there's hope in the name of Jesus. And I want to tell every weary saint Your hope is in your prayer life tomorrow morning because it's still all in Jesus. And whether you're a year old in this or you're 50 years old in this, it's still all in him. And I'll never be nothing and we can never be nothing unless we get in Jesus. Would you lift your hands all across the house? Can we pray for just a moment? Access the dominion that was given. Through Christ in this room here tonight. Take a few minutes and just call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, right now, my prayer for this great body is very simple. Put a persistency in them. Put a consistency in them to wake up in the morning and to die to their will, and to put you on. Because if they can get in you tomorrow, they're going to make it to Friday. And when they wake up on Friday, let them smite the earth again. Put a tenacity within our spirit here tonight, God. Put, God, an intentionality within our spirit tonight, God. God, that we would not be yet entangled again with the yoke of bondage, but that we would walk wherein the liberty that you have given us And it's still all in you, God. So we invoke the name of Jesus over every mind. We speak the name of Jesus over every home. We speak the name of Jesus over every family. We speak the name of Jesus over every situation. We speak the name of Jesus over every mind, every heart. I speak Jesus. I speak Jesus because it's all in you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's it. Just worship just for a minute. My wife's not going to like me right now, but oh well. Come here. Come here. She'd much rather not be on the platform. I'm going to close with this story. I've already closed. Come on. Thank you, baby. You make me look a lot prettier anyways. 
little while ago, we were getting ready to go to a revival. My wife got very, very sick. Uh, probably the sickest she said she's ever been, really. And I told her it was Saturday. I said, babe, just stay home. I said, there's no reason for you to go. I said, I'll do this one by myself. She told me, she said, but I've been praying, and I really feel like I need to go on this revival with you. I said, well, you're sick. She said, okay, pray for me. It's a good idea. I should have thought of that. Sister Amy, we pray. Guess what? Nothing happened. So she said, babe, I want you to pray again. So we prayed a second time. Nothing happened. Prayed a third time because she said, pray again. Y'all ready for this testimony? Absolutely nothing happened. She said, pray again. So it was the fourth time. All right, fine, let's pray again. Guess what? Nothing happened. Your faith is going through the roof. I feel it. Everybody's leaving here. You're so charged full of faith right now. And at least five times she said, pray again. So we prayed again. Nothing happened. I know, right? I've got you all ready to run the aisles tonight. And I don't remember how many times it was. It was either six or seven times we prayed. And on the last time, when I didn't feel like praying again, the power of God fell. And I'm telling you immediately, immediately after that last time, every, every ounce of sickness left her body. Because sometimes the remedy is to get up and do it again. And so tomorrow, when you don't feel like it, get up and pray again. And Friday, when you don't feel like it, get up and pray again. And Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you just keep going. Because I promise you, that thing you've been dealing with, eventually... Maybe not the first time or the second time, but if you keep smiting the earth, you will have dominion, which is to have rule over that issue. And that's the will of God for every child of God's life is not for you to be bound, but for you to have dominion. I'm done one more time. Would you lift your hands? Would you just call upon the name of the Lord? Let us walk in dominion, Jesus. Let us have an understanding that it only comes through you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, release the revelation of true dominion in the days that we are living in. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Praise God. One more time, why don't you clap your hands? You're dismissed in Jesus' name.